For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in. Like, you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. Hey, everybody. We have a special Olympic-sized episode today. I'm talking to Canada's National Post columnist, Sabrina Madeau, and also Stu Wu of the Wall Street Journal, who is in Beijing covering the Games. Please give it a listen. Joining us now from Toronto, Canada is National Post columnist Sabrina Madeau. Her journalistic range spans from culture to politics north of the border, but lately her attention has been focused on the Beijing Olympic Games. Sabrina, welcome to TakeLine. Thanks for having me. Let's get right into it. You know, the Games are always a display of geopolitical relations, uh, and I think this Games perhaps that is more present than ever with uh, tensions in the Ukraine and tensions generally between the West and China, specifically uh, Canada and the U.S. and China, uh, always there in the background as uh, providing a kind of context to what we're seeing. How are people viewing the games in Canada? And do those kind of existing tensions between Canada and and China uh, influence the way people are thinking about the games right now? Absolutely. Like you said, the Olympics never happens in a silo. There are yeah. always broader societal and political implications. Um, and countries and their leaders are very aware of this. So they do use the games to disseminate propaganda or to influence the international conversation um, and to try and sway public opinion. And and China in particular has been pretty prolific in trying to use the Olympics to do that, dating back from when Beijing hosted the Games in 2008 to now when they're hosting them in 2022. Uh, but this time around, I think the public in general is wising up a bit to their ulterior motives. Um, obviously, they've been in the news a lot over the last couple of years for their increasingly aggressive foreign policy. There was the incident with the two Michaels in Canada where mm -hmm. they were detained for a very long time without cause, um, possibly in retaliation um, for Canada detaining on behalf of the U.S. a Huawei executive. Yeah. Now, thankfully, the two Michaels were released before the Games, but that's left a lasting impression in Canada for sure, that they understand that Beijing isn't playing nice on the world stage. And actually, a lot of Canadians have tuned out of the Olympics because of that. They're boycotting them. Um, some stats came from our national broadcaster, the CBC, which broadcast the Olympics here the other day. And viewership is down like 40% from the last Winter Olympics. And it's down huge from the Tokyo Games as well. So a lot of people are just saying, no, thank you. We don't want to support mm. this. We don't want to be a part of it, um, which might be a good thing. Perhaps it will force some change. Um, Let's talk about a, a Canadian athlete in particular, uh, Max's uh, medal-winning run, uh, some scoring uh, controversy there. Certainly not something that, if anybody is a sports watcher, an Olympic watcher, certainly not something that is foreign to the Olympics, right? There are uh, scoring controversies uh, constantly. A lot of the uh, particular events whether it be figure skating, ice dancing, et cetera, are scored subjectively. 
uh, although they try to make it as, as rigorous theoretically as possible. Uh, talk to us about uh, what happened on Max's medal winning run. Like you said, the games have a long history of yeah. scoring controversies from figure skating to snowboarding. Yes. <laughs> and in this case, snowboarding has had a lot of controversy, this yeah. Olympic Games. And the one you're referring to in particular happened in the men's snowboard slope style final. Um, Max did his run, which was spectacular, except he made a pretty major error, which was during a jump, he grabbed his knees rather than his board. And typically that would result in a reduction of two to three points. Um, and that would have been enough to change the medal standings. But in this case, Judge Human Air missed that he missed the grab. So they gave him the full points and he ended up coming in first and winning gold uh, when in reality he should not have based on that pretty big air. So there was a lot of controversy around that. And actually another Canadian snowboarder who came in third and placed in bronze had said to the media afterwards um, that Max hadn't deserved the win, that the judges had really screwed up and that caused a lot of hoopla as well. He ended up apologizing afterwards, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, well, you know, like snowboarding is kind of, it's not new, but it's sort of new. And it's certainly introduced like a uh, a less buttoned up, more fun kind of athlete to the Olympics that I think maybe um, the, the uh, very kind of buttoned down uh, Olympic Games is not usually used to uh, dealing with. Let's talk about the situation in figure skating, which I think is at the top of everyone's mind. Uh, right now, Russian figure skater Kamila Velieva, who's 15 years old, tested positive for a variety of substances uh, that could suggest that she was doping, uh, was allowed to compete. Uh, and then one can only uh, surmise under the intense pressure of the games broke down on the ice. What are the thoughts there in Canada and your own personal thoughts about whether she should even have been allowed to compete? Yeah, that's been quite the saga. And I agree the most prominent story coming out of the games. And it's yeah. really tragic because like you said, it deals with a minor athlete who's only she's 15, 15. Yeah, years old. And especially watching in the finals and when she fell twice and then broke down sobbing afterwards and her coaches were rather cold and actually offering criticism after rather than comfort. Um, it was a really revealing moment about yeah. how little a lot of the parties involved in the games, whether that's Olympic committees or coaches or the sporting bodies themselves actually care about the athletes. Um, we've seen a lot of athletes coming out. We saw in the Tokyo Games, too, speaking about mental health, about how they're treated, about point. abuses. Um, and this is a pattern we're seeing emerge. And it's great that athletes are speaking out or about it, even though Camilla hasn't spoken out. But there's political considerations for her as well, of course, being from Russia. But the bigger story here is Russia technically isn't supposed to be competing in the games. Right, correct. They're <laughs> competing under the ROC banner because they supposedly received a ban after the Sochi Olympics in which they were discovered to be undergoing a state-sponsored doping, which, you know, they weren't just giving their athletes drugs. What they were doing was they were making their own proprietary cocktail of steroids and giving that to their athletes. And they were also sneaking lab tests in and out of the Sochi lab through a mouse hole. So this was like as bad as it gets in doping. And yet they still weren't fully banned, supposedly because they didn't want innocent athletes to be harmed. But from my perspective, you are harming innocent athletes when you allow this doping culture to continue. Yeah, we spoke earlier about how uh, these games 
since they began, have essentially been a stand-in for geopolitical considerations, uh, uh, political relationships between nations, et cetera. And when that happens, uh, the pressure on the athletes is immense. I mean, you mentioned the Japanese games. The pressure that the Japanese athletes were under and spoke about and manifested, despite uh, coming in second or third, coming to the podium in tears, talking about that they let their nation down. Those are the kind of pressures that are there in a kind of normal setting, you know, as normal as this can be. But with Russia, I mean, you spoke about it, the previous doping, you couldn't even call it allegations, but the case for which there is significant evidence uh, was extremely structured, thought out, broad-based, and active at every level with the goal of providing substances to athletes to allow them to compete above and beyond a normal level with the acquiescence of the government at, and the Russian Olympic Committee, at, again, at every level. So it's wild that they're allowed to compete. What is the view of the other competitors, the other athletes? I mean, I would imagine it would be tough to talk about it there at the games, but is there a sense of how other athletes are feeling about the fact that uh, Valieva was allowed to compete? I think for athletes, a lot of them empathize with her because they understand how young she is and the pressure she's been under. So I think the collective feeling is that the athlete herself in this case should not be blamed, but there should be serious accountability for her coaches, her doctors, her nutritionists, the Russian Olympic Committee, Russia itself. Um, everyone around her should be held accountable. And the problem with allowing her to continue to compete is that put her in the position where she broke to the point she was falling, she was sobbing. It would have been better for her mentally and probably in the long term to be taken out of the games. Um, so we need to have a conversation about how we're treating athletes and also the conversation about how we apply doping standards. Um, when there are these constant doping controversies and these discrepancies um, around how different athletes get treated, how athletes from different countries get treated, uh, there needs to be more consistency um, and there really needs to be a zero tolerance approach. You talk about the substances. So there's three different ones. Uh, it seems like they, they have to do with um, working on the human heart somehow, but is there an idea about how these would have helped her? Um, the one about the heart, from my understanding, is it can increase blood flow to the heart, mm -hmm. um, which can increase stamina, of course. Um, and, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I can't get into oh, much more yeah, yeah. detail than that. But that's the gist of it. Many have pointed out the seeming double standard using the case of the American athlete, uh, Shikari Richardson, who was suspended from the Summer Olympic Games. In that case, uh, it was for testing positive for marijuana, which while legal in her state and in almost half the country, it was a banned substance, uh, despite it certainly not being a performance enhancer in any kind of way. Um, do, do you see a do you see a, a hypocrisy here in the, in the way these two different uh, situations were legislated? I do think there was. And Shikari herself came out on Twitter earlier this yeah. week and said, look at the situation. The only difference I can see is that I'm a black female athlete. Um, and she had been incredibly accepting of the ruling up until then yeah. and apologetic. And so for her to come out and make that kind of statement was a really big thing. Uh, from my perspective with Shikari, we need to have a conversation about recreational drugs and cannabis yeah. in particular, which, like you said, is legal in many states, in many countries. It's legal in Canada. Um, and it was legal in the state that she was qualifying in. Uh, so 
why why is she being banned? Also, cannabis is not tied to performance enhancement. So what we're talking about when we ban athletes for recreational drugs like cannabis is we're legislating morality instead of trying to put everyone on an equal playing ground. And sports should be about the equal playing ground. So I think we need to move away from um, the focus on recreational drugs. Uh, as we as we move past the games, again, with all the kind of international considerations that are currently happening, whether it's competition between the West and China or, you know, the rising tensions between uh, Russia and NATO uh, vis-a-vis Ukraine, all of which are playing out in different ways through these games. As we move past these games, what do you think are uh, the legacy of, of the Beijing games will be? I'm hoping that the IOC will be much more wary of giving the games to authoritarian states, especially ones with terrible human rights records. Um, that has really brought down the overall vibe surrounding these games and has resulted in a lot of controversy and put athletes in a really bad place. So the IOC needs to be more aware of that. I think that we're seeing um, lack of action and reform in the judging world and when it comes to doping really start to make, I mean, headlines multiple times a day and controversies in multiple sports. So hopefully we'll see reform from that. Um, the good news is that the next few games are in democratic nations. So hopefully um, we can continue to see that pattern and that democratic nations will continue to step up with bids for the games. She is Sabrina Meadow. She is a columnist for the National Post. Uh, Sabrina, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Take Line is brought to you by CW's All-American Homecoming. Mondays, a CW original series, All-American Homecoming. Jeffrey Maya stars alongside Peyton Alex Smith in an all-new series, Mondays, on CW. Maya's character, Simone Hicks, leaves Beverly Hills to fight her way back to great on the tennis courts of Brinkston University. She has to contend with missing her man and everything she's ever known back home to begin her new journey, where she can try to put the past behind her and look to the future. Damon Sims, played by Peyton Alex Smith, leaves Chicago and a chance at a career in pro baseball to help the HBCU battle its way to a championship. A new chapter begins as they learn to navigate their sporting careers with new friendships and relationships while discovering what it means to leave home for college. It's a chance to start over and find the power to fight for what matters. Don't miss the all-new CW original series, All-American Homecoming, Mondays at 9, 8 central on The CW. Or stream free next day on the CW app. Take Line is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. I want to tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up your season. It's Underdog Fantasy. Woo woo! And their brand new pick'em game. Just pick over or under on your favorite or least favorite or middle favorite or whatever player's stats. And you can help win up to 20 times. 20x to zero. Your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players, and you can take home some very cold, very hard, very cash. Use code TAKELINE to get your first deposit doubled by Underdog. Sign up now with the code TAKELINE, and you'll double your first deposit up to $100 in bonus cash. When you make your first deposit of $10 or more, deposit $100, double it, and you get $100 free.
Joining us now is Wall Street Journal staff writer Stu Wu, who covers the relationship between the U.S. and China as his regular beat, and he is in Beijing watching the game. Stu, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jason. What's it like on the ground there? How is the vibe? Um, how has it been uh, you know, covering the Olympics essentially at ground level over there? Yeah, I think so. Th- these are my second Olympics. And I think the vibe is that, you know, there, there's a lot of happiness here, but it's like really heavily balanced out by a lot of sadness. I mean, I was just saying just in the minutes, just like a minute ago, I was scrambling to download Zoom on my burner phone <laughs> and set it up so we can even have this conversation. So there's that element, just talking to all the athletes about the apps that they did and forgot to download on their burner phones for coming. Uh, but I think uh, when you think about like the main storylines of, of these Olympics, they're, they're pretty sad. You have uh, Camila yeah. Balieva, you know, just 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 watching that in person was heartbreaking. Even when Nathan Chen won uh, gold, mm. uh, I, I went to a short program. And then afterwards, I was like looking really closely at his mask. And he was wearing two masks. He was wearing like an N95 and another mask wow. on top of that. And I was just like, oh, man, this this guy really, really, really wants to win gold to, to put himself through uh, do something like that. And then, of course, you have uh, all the people who got COVID right before, like Michaela yeah. Trivrin, who didn't win good. So I think I, I, this is like the sad, awkward Olympics, I think. Yeah, the Olympics are always a, a stage for politics, for global politics, for the relationships between nations. And it seems like with COVID being the context for basically everything that's happened on, on planet Earth in the last two years, it feels like these Olympics are specifically a showcase for China to say, we're look how we're doing it. We're doing it better than everybody else. Is that the case? Do you feel like safer there than at a comparable sporting event as somewhere else? Oh, yeah. Well, first, let me say I, I used to live in Beijing. I, I was in China for the first uh, three months of the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, for, until March 2020. And uh, when it happened, they, they literally shut down my neighborhood. They, they put like a checkpoint. The, the local uh, Communist Party authorities put up checkpoints at each of the six or so entrances in my neighborhood, I had to do a temperature check and show them that like a card that proved that I live there. So I, I knew coming in that this would be like the safest place in the world. And all the athletes feel that way too. I think like two days ago, there were zero recorded cases in the wow. bubble. So we land at the airport and uh, we get this like PCR test that like tickles our brain. Like, like <laughs> they, they put it up your nose and and you're like, wow, that's pretty deep. And then they go like like an inch deeper. <laughs> and then, and then you're, you're just begging for mercy. Uh, you're, you're crying. And then we have to take a, a, a throat swab every single day before we leave the hotel. Um, and then not only do you have to wear a mask, but it's got to be an N95 mask. Uh, so I would have been shocked if I had gotten COVID here, any of my coworkers had gotten here. Um, so that was not a worry at all. On the other hand, I mean, it is, it is a pain to wear one of those things for 16 hours yeah. a day. Uh, but but th- those are the rules. Uh, Eileen Gu, American-born Chinese uh, athlete, won the gold medal in halfpipe and the silver in, in slope style. There's been a lot of conversation about from people on the sidelines about who she is representing, essentially asking her to make a choice between China and America that it seems like I, I think a lot of people – myself included, would say it's a little unfair to be putting this on her in a way that we don't put on other athletes. Um, is that feeling present there? What is what is that like uh, watching her uh, in China? Yeah, that is an unavoidable feeling. So I saw her win her second medal, which was a silver medal. And I've been following her for a long time. I'm also a Chinese-American person from San Francisco. 
I went to her rival high school. I, I actually asked her, <laughs> my, 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 my first question was, why didn't you go to my high school? And she said, I didn't get in. And I was like, yo, Eileen, I, I didn't get in your high school. So that's cool. Um, but so I, I think you're right. And is there are questions of, is, you know, are, um, th- there's a Canadian American bobsledder, for instance, yeah. who won gold. She, she doesn't get asked as many questions about switching from Canada to America right. as Eileen does for a choice between representing China and the U.S. Um, so there's some speculation there could be some racism involved. So uh, is that unfair? Possible. Um, I think what is a fair question to ask, and this is what I asked, is um, when you choose to represent an authoritarian country like China, right. there are some compromises that you make. And she, she is, there's pictures of her with Xi Jinping at a, at a press mm-hmm. conference a couple of years ago. So the question is, okay, is the Chinese government, is the Chinese Communist Party using your medals that you're winning for China as a tool of soft power for propaganda? And on top of that, Eileen's making tons of money in China. Every time you turn on TV here, she's doing an ad for a watch or a car or, or milk or something like that, right? So she's making tons of money here, but but the compromise that she has to make, and anybody who does business in China has to make, is mm-hmm. that if, if you want to do, make a lot of money here, you can't criticize the official of stance of the Chinese government on human rights or anything like that. So I, I think those questions are fair. We all watched the Camila Velieva uh, situation with, uh, I think, a mixture of frustration at one, what appears to be the double standard for uh, doping penalties levied against uh, Russian athletes and uh, the kind of extreme pressure that that was clearly placed on her uh, as she competed and that clearly affected her in a very serious way. Um, have what's what has been the the feeling there about Camila and is what do the athletes what do the other athletes think about her situation? Um, I, I went to see her free skates, um, and uh, yeah, first of all, it's weird to watch figure skating without, like, you know, like Tara Lipinski in your ear, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Com- commentating. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she went last, and I noticed, uh, and you know, everybody who was there that night was there to see her, and then I noticed that there was a stream of, of people leaving the arena, and I was like, that's weird. Um, and then I, I looked closely and they were all wearing red, white, and blue. And they happened to be sitting where, where the Americans were sitting. And I realized that Team USA looked like they were boycotting her performance at the end. Um, so I think that gives you an indication of how some athletes from yeah. some countries feel about her competing there. Uh, I think, I, think uh, I went back and uh, listened to the Peacock uh, uh, you know, uh, commentary on the performance afterwards. And I, I think they got it right. I mean... Uh, she probably shouldn't have been performing and then you saw what happened when she did. But um, yeah. again, just being in that arena without hearing any commentary, you just, you could just sense tension. And I think in hindsight, why did we all expect her to win a gold medal after what she went through? It, it should right. have been a surprise that she was going to perform like that. As a Chinese American, it is inescapable that the U S and China are increasingly competing for a top spot amongst nations. And I wonder, have you thought about or do you have any feelings about the effect that might have on Asian Americans here? You know, I think about the, the competition between the U.S. and the USSR during the Cold War through the 80s and into the 90s. Uh, it was heated. There was a lot of like uh, propaganda, a lot of rhetoric. Um, but 
there was no threat that a non-white nation could possibly supplant the U.S. in the same way that there is with China. And, and with all the negative things that could come with that, with the potential for uh, leveraging bias and racism in service of propaganda, does it worry you at all as we enter this age of, of direct competition between these two nations? I, I think about, uh, yeah, first of all, I think about this a lot, and it goes beyond the Olympics. J- Jeremy yeah. Lin is, is a, uh, is a uh, Taiwanese uh, mm-hmm. Christian athlete playing in, um, you know, for Beijing's most successful uh, basketball team, the, the Chinese Basketball Association's most successful basketball team right now. Um, I, I think about that a lot. And uh, it, it's, it's hard to win because, um, I mean, just look at Eileen's situation. And, and, and right. I think hers is a little bit different. But even, even when I lived here, the Chinese claimed me as one of their own. It's like, oh, you're Chinese. You, your passport might say United States of America on it, but you're Chinese. And I was expecting that people like Nathan Chen would come here and be celebrated, but, but there's there's nothing about it because I think he has been critical or at least has raised concerns about politics and, and human rights in China in the past. Even, even if he did so very gently, I think yeah. that that means that you're not going to be able to market yourself, you know, get, get endorsement deals in, in this uh, country with one and a half billion people in it. Uh, and it, it, it's sad because you're, you're, my parents are from this country. Uh, you know, his parents uh, or the parents of a lot of Asian American athletes, Chinese American athletes are from this country. You want to enjoy both. But in, in this world today, it seems like you really got to choose one. I, I think what's interesting about Eileen Gu is that a lot of us have asked her, why are you staying silent on these issues right now? And what she says is, look, I'm a teenager. I'm focused on inspiring athletes, young mm-hmm. girls at this moment. So at this moment, right? So uh, is she just saying that because that's what just came out of her mouth, you know, right then? Or, or is she leaving the door open for, uh, for other options in the future? She said it twice now. So maybe, maybe she's, she's not, you know, closing her options right now. It's easy from here to, you know, read uh, Xi Jinping's statements and read analysis about where China might be headed and the things that they want to do in the future. And it's certainly uh, impossible to ignore the aggressiveness with which they counter any kind of criticisms about them by anyone that takes part in their economy in any kind of way. Um, Do you have any kind of idea where this is heading? I think originally the idea when the U.S. and the West began to engage uh, economically with China in the late 80s and 90s was that, oh, this is this is how we influence them. Uh, it's unclear that the influence is going in the direction that people thought uh, in the 80s and 90s. Do you have any kind of feeling about where this is all headed? Wow. You know, so, so Jason, so I, I, uh, I was a sports reporter for four years. I'm yeah. actually not anymore. I haven't been on the sports team for five years. This, this is the main thing I write about, actually, is yeah. how uh, tensions between the U.S. and China. That's why I'm asking you the question, Stu. Yeah. <laughs> <Tech> business. <laughs> So just the fact that uh, I had to do this on my phone because it, it has a foreign SIM card. I couldn't do this on a computer because I don't have uh, access to the Western internet in my room. The Wi-Fi, the Wi-Fi here is behind the Great Firewall. So we, we already live in this world where there are two internet systems, mm-hmm. right? So in China, you use uh, Baidu and WeChat instead of Facebook, Instagram, and, and Google. Um, if you've been watching Eileen Gu's uh, races closely, you're going to see this logo on clothes she's wearing. It's Anta. That's like the Nike of China. But uh, you can't buy it. That's also Clay Thompson's uh, uh, shoe brand, by the way. 
but uh, the U.S. just passed a law that says you can't import cotton from Xinjiang, which is uh, like the uh, which where all these human rights abuses are allegedly happening. Well, ANTA says that uh, we get cotton from Xinjiang. So, uh, so now we're in this world with these two two different internet systems, like one that's Chinese and one that's mainly predominantly American. We're, we're headed to this world now where people might be wearing different athletic apparel too because of, of these laws and, and human rights concerns. Uh, and there's some other evidence that like the financial system is splitting too. Um, look, th- these are early days and right now the internet's the best example, but, but we are headed in direction where, where people in the U S and China are going to be wearing different kinds of clothing, using different kinds of monetary systems, buying different kinds of uh, stocks, uh, for their, you know, uh, portfolios. That's the direction we're headed right now. Uh, and it might take, you know, 50 years if, if it completely decouples, uh, but there's no movement towards, uh, you know, being one global system right now. Just to take the devil's advocate, I think, you know, the Chinese perspective is something like the U.S. committed X amount of human rights violations in their rise to becoming the preeminent nation on Earth, uh, did all the stuff that we're being accused of doing it now. So we, what's the deal now that somebody else is coming up the mountainside, all of a sudden it's a problem. Is that kind of the argument that China would make? Jason, you nailed it. That, that's exactly the kind of question they made. How, how dare you, with your history, with slavery, uh, with, with the Chinese Exclusion Act that limited immigration to, uh, from China to the U.S., with, with the internment camps and uh, the Japanese Americans in World War II, how dare you lecture us? They do not like being lectured. I, I think that's, to some uh, degree, that's fair. And the pitch, the I guess the the way the dialogue is being held right now with a lot of yelling and finger pointing, it's not really conducive to anything. So there needs to be at least a change in the way that these two countries conduct diplomacy in some ways. And, and it might be happening behind doors right now. And it could and there's a lot of political posturing on both sides in the U.S. Possibly just to win votes because it's really popular yeah. bash China. But the way it's being conducted in, in, in public right now, no, the, the Chinese government hates. And I think there is some fairness behind that. Yeah, I think my concern is, and tell me if if this is a, a legitimate concern is, uh, you mentioned uh, how popular it is here to bash China. I believe that is the case. I think that there are probably many politicians and uh, talking heads who bash China who do so not because they care about human rights, because they want to bash China and that helps them uh, leverage their own uh, talking points, etc. But do you worry that we're in a realm in which that kind of the, the bashing, which is very popular from both sides, can take on a life of its own, no matter what the kind of diplomacy and talks are that are going on behind closed doors? Uh, you know, we, we see that. I, I see that in, in Twitter, you know, just just on Twitter and, and in the comments sections for a lot of stories I write. It's, it's that um, people uh, just automatically take these really defensive positions on either side. Um, so I have seen that. You know, I will say, you know, you were talking about the U.S. and the USSR before. A lot of people are calling this the new Cold War. You know, yeah. I, I just want to say right now, this is, this is not a Cold War right now. The, right. The, you know, the Cold War had proxy hot wars, right? There's none of that yeah. right now. There's, there's, we're not doing drills where people are hiding under their, their desks at school because of, of a threat of nuclear annihilation. We're not there yet. Uh, and, I, and, and I say, yeah, but we, we might never be there. So, so this is more of a diplomatic and technological Cold War. So um, I, I, I wouldn't worry about that right now. Uh, he is Wall Street Journal London Bureau reporter Stu Wu. Stu, uh, thanks for giving us your first-person perspective on these Olympic Games. Hey, this was a fun, thoughtful conversation. Thanks for having me.
Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8th, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. That's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check it out. Take Line is a crooked media production. The show is produced by Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com.